Good morning. For those of you who do not know me, I'm Eric Redmond, Associate Pastor of Adult Ministries here at Calvary Memorial. I greet you in the name of the Lord. So thankful that you have joined us in worship on this day. Looking forward to meeting you. Also, if you are a first-time guest or visitor uh, with us, I know sometimes it's uh, it's a little hard to, to meet uh, people if you're shy or things like that. Feel free to come down to end of service. I would love to uh, meet you if you're a guest with us today. <clears throat> Before we get into the sermon today, I have a statement related to the protest in Charlottesville and the activity of white supremacists, if you will bear with me for a minute. This statement intends for us to think Christianly about some of the things surrounding the melee in Charlottesville, Virginia, for the sake of the glory of God in all things. For scripture says, from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. A few short weeks ago, my family was in Charlottesville, Virginia for my daughter's graduation in May. She herself only vacated her apartment and moved temporarily to Maryland last week. Had the Charlottesville incident happened earlier, she may have been caught in all of its madness. This scares me as a father. KKK, neo-Nazis, and other white supremacists are scary to me, to Jewish people, and to other people of color. A rally to support white supremacy in modern America greatly concerns me, as does anyone waving the symbol of Nazi Germany as a signpost to recruit people toward the supremacist ideology and a supremacist world. And I feel that every believer who intends to love his neighbor as himself should share my concern. You should share my concern because you love me and other people of color within this body. And you would not want us to live in a climate of fear and hate, of superiority and inferiority. Someone died because a group wanted to protest the removal of a monument that honors someone who fought to keep slavery in the South. We all should feel sorrow over groups of people wanting to identify themselves as people who are inherently better than others. The cross and its followers look nothing like such arrogance. Neither do we who love Christ embrace the bigotry and hatred of that worldview because we serve the Savior of the world, the Savior of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and land. I am concerned about what appears to be a growing climate of racial hate and of greater boldness by those like the alt-right. I, or any other person of color in the pew near you, or any other descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, could be the next object of scorn of a vehicle driver with sympathies to white supremacy. In contrast, the gospel works to create climates of acceptance, grace, and holiness. 
Incidents like the one in Charlottesville or in Charleston, South Carolina, or in Ferguson, Missouri, or any high-profile news story of vandalism of an American mosque, synagogue, or Jewish cemetery, or of a woman in, of Middle Eastern descent being attacked for wearing a hijab, or of an unarmed African-American losing life to a white police officer, and that often with the acquittal of the officer, sets me and many people of color on edge. We can become doubters and cynics and wonder if things will ever change in America. We hope that you who are our brothers and sisters will understand if we hear your words and see your actions through our well-earned but fallen lenses of racial skepticism. We need patient love from you as we try to love you without reserve or fear of mistreatment and of racial mistreatment. We need you to keep seeking to understand our world and to come participate in our worlds and our lives. We need you to continue to examine your own hearts and actions and to continue to challenge racial hatred in your extended families and friendships. I hope that the voices of evangelical leaders will be even louder and clearer on the denunciation of the protesters and of white supremacy. Yes, moral leadership is within the job description of some heads of state, but moral leadership and having a moral voice is inherent in the job description of every evangelical pastor, school president, and institution leader. It is we who say to you who embrace white supremacy, unless you repent, there is no place for you in heaven, and there is no place for you among the people of Christ's love who make up Calvary Memorial Church. With that said, let's turn to Romans chapter 16. The scripture printed in your bulletin is incorrect, uh, both because it did not go with the previous sermon passage, and also I have changed the passage in light of the events of this weekend. Romans chapter 16 can be found on page 950 in your pew Bible, if you're using a pew Bible. Let us stand for the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> This morning, I am reading from the English Standard Version. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chenkria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Androconus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. 
Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenea, uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greets you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let us pray. We are so grateful, Father, to worship that wonderful, powerful name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name on which people call to be saved, the name that has healing and deliverance in it, the name that is righteous and holy and above all other names. We are grateful to be called by your name today, Father. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that you, through the Son, the power of the Spirit, would bless us in worship to hear your voice from heaven, that you would speak to every heart, and that you would bring conviction and encouragement and hope and thanksgiving and joy. While we are here, God, we ask that you would pour out mercy upon people in and around Charlottesville, that you would give the mayor and the governor of Virginia and the president great wisdom, putting righteous advisors in all of their ears, God. Would you bring an end to events like this in our country? What we really are in need of, Father, is a spirit walk revival all over the land in which your spirit draws people back to you and back into your churches and to righteousness and truth and peace. We cry out for you to bring that revival and for you to come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
Lord Jesus, in the meantime, pour out mercy and grace upon us. May the people of God be bold in you. May we stand for righteousness and justice in every way. God, be merciful to our brothers and sisters who are at link right now. May they have great joy uh, together, that you bring about great humility and unity and love for one another that will strengthen our church and our ministries to Oak Park, around the world, and all of Chicagoland. We also cry out again to you, Father, for a billion Muslims who are around the world. Would you send your people to preach Christ to them? Would you strengthen the church in the most hostile areas, God, that the believers would be bold and courageous and that the gospel would go forth and we would see people turning away from the false ideas of Islam to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. God, be merciful to them as you have been merciful to us. Now, God, kindly speak to us through your word. And bless us to be found obedient and faithful. Strengthen me now, and we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 16 looks like a simple list of hellos and benedictions, appropriate for the end of a first century letter. Greet this person. Say hello to that one. Tell these friends hi from me. Remember that one named Narcissus who has a very unfortunate name. (laughs) Most of it is so pedestrian that we do not give it the attention that we give to the Romans road passages or to the golden chain of salvation in Romans chapter 8 or to the practical discussions of a living sacrifice lifestyle in Romans 12 through 15. Yet significant to Paul's argument about the revelation of the gospel of God and the obedience of faith is his call for the affectionate greeting of people according to both spiritual and social identities. The end of this letter is not an appendage to the gospel discussion, but a challenge to live out the gospel to its full conclusions. When we have the practice of affectionately, even physically, embracing fellow believers, even those who are new to us and previously unknown to us, we are doing so as a necessary outworking of the gospel for the sake of God's glory among all people. That is, we are embracing the other to the glory of God. Embracing the other to the glory of God. In demonstrating this aspect of the practical application of the gospel, Paul will show us five things about embracing fellow believers. The first of which is this. Embracing means valuing the contributions women make to the work of the gospel. Paul first commends Phoebe to the church. And she is probably the bearer of the letter to the church, as most scholars propose. She is unknown to the church at Rome, and Paul is supplying credentials for her to be accepted. So the church will not wonder if they are being deceived by someone with ill motives, only claiming to be a believer. Paul gives his good name to her, rather than letting her work to earn the respect of believers in Rome. Imagine if Phoebe had shown up to the church in Rome as a believer, but without Paul's commendation. She would have been just another woman believer, 
and possibly would receive cordial treatment. But she also was single, for she is traveling alone, and no husband is mentioned as with the wives who are greeted below in Romans 16. So her reception might have come coolly, but with Paul's words, she comes with high marks that should be revered by all. Paul first describes her as a servant of Chancrea, indicating that she ministers in the vein of our Lord. Next, he informs the church to receive her with worth, worth that they show to one another as saints. She is not to be treated as an outsider or to be viewed with suspicion. Then Paul says these words, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. He instructs the church to provide for her needs, whatever needs she might have, in reciprocation for the ministry support she has given to Paul and others so that the gospel might go forth. Notice, please, here that Paul is mentioning financial terms and not simply spiritual terms. Phoebe uses her patronage, the text says, which is social, for the kingdom, which is spiritual. In all of this, Paul makes sure that Phoebe will be received with dignity. Our church is complementarian in its view of the roles of men and women in the church and in the home. We believe men and women have roles that complement one another, even though we are equal in dignity and heirship, and even though all of our elders, rightly so, are men. But our theological position also unfortunately makes for us being blind to some of our insensitivities toward women and sometimes leaves women in our congregation asking how they can serve in the assembly with all of their magnificent gifts, education, experiences, skills, and talents. Rather than making a list of roles that are appropriate. You know, that's what we do in, in churches. We start making lists. Well, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do this and this. Well, okay, we'll think about whether or not you can do this. Rather than making a list of roles that are appropriate, we need to continue to work on actions that value women's packages of gifts, including providing visible roles in our morning services, as you have seen increasing of late. Roles that have traditionally been limited to men for reasons that have nothing to do with the order of creation, unlike the roles of pastor and elder. The hope is that all women entering our congregation will sense that we are welcoming them as people of dignity as the Church of Rome was to do to Phoebe. We especially are hoping that if you are a single woman, that you will feel we are esteeming you as much as married women and that your worth is not reduced to wrongly assumed freedom to provide childcare and that it is not reduced to an availability to wed our members' sons who have failed to launch. <laughs> Second, 
Embracing means recognizing social identities so as to demonstrate the affection of the gospel, so as to, a, to demonstrate the affection of the gospel in verses 3 through 16. Now, this list of greetings is full of hello to gospel workers, people in house churches, fellow Jewish believers, those who worked hard, and many family relationships. And if you think I'm going to read back through that list again, you are absolutely wrong. I did it one time. That will have to serve as enough. <laughs> Several commentary writers have noticed the number of women in the list, which argues against Paul having chauvinistic tendencies, as often is said wrongly about Paul. Most significantly, the greetings are tender, full of Paul's emotions and affections toward believers in Rome. I will focus on three sets of believers in the list while briefly mentioning others. First, Priscilla, Prisca in the text, and Aquila are a wife and husband team well known in the New Testament as companions of the Apostle Paul. Paul identifies them to the Roman congregation as people who risked their lives on his behalf and people for whom the churches in Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens gave thanks. The greeting invites the Romans to ask Priscilla and Aquila how they saved Paul's life and why the churches give thanks for them, things that would be dear to their hearts. They also feel the heart of Paul, for you cannot speak of people risking their lives for you while being stoic in your emotions. It's not, and they also risked their lives for me. No, in the writing, the tone is, they risked their lives for me. They stuck out their necks for me. And I am only here because they intervened for me. Second, if you skip down to verse 7, you will meet the husband and wife team of Androconus and Junia. They come with four descriptions. One, they are Jewish kinsmen, which Paul could have left out so as not to draw attention to their Judaism, but he included it, meaning their Jewish identity is important. Two, they have spent time in prison, so the Romans learn that they have suffered for the sake of the gospel. Three, they have a high reputation among all the apostles. The apostles think much of them, so the Romans should think much of them. And four, they were converted to Christ prior to Paul, which means their maturity and length of time in Christ should be honored in the eyes of their brothers and sisters. Now, if you think here Paul is respecting persons, then this whole chapter needs to be scrapped, for all these greetings amount to nothing but a brag fest. No, instead, what we see here is that Paul is showing us that the gospel can embrace people without turning us into people pleasers who are favorably biased to some and not to others. Paul's saying I can recognize their social identities and that doesn't mean that I'm biased toward them. It just means I'm embracing them for all that they are. Third, down in verse 13, there are Rufus and his mother. 
Describing Rufus as chosen in the Lord harkens back to Romans chapter 11 and verse 5, where believing Israel is identified as a remnant chosen by grace. But the identity of his mother as one who mothered Paul speaks again of her caring nature, a social identity, and not of her elect status. It is not that she is a mother in Christ. It is that she is a mother to me, Paul says in the verse. The church should look at Rufus's mother as one whose walk with Christ expressed itself in nurturing care for the apostle and possibly for other workers who could travel to Rome in need of such care. Paul approves of mothering another as honorable gospel work as one who has benefited from such love. Verse 16 allows all of us to test our ability to embrace fellow saints. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. The holy kiss was more than a casual greeting like a fist bump or a bro hug or a Baptist pseudo kiss. And if you're not Baptist, a Baptist pseudo kiss is when we go to hug one another's Baptist and then we stick our cheek out and kind of turn our lips that way and go like that. All the Baptists in here, they understand that because that's what we as Baptists do. Uh, do not think of some French or Spanish or Middle Eastern traditions in which great affections are not involved in a greeting. Instead, think of hugging or kissing the parent, child, grandparent, or best friend other than your spouse that you love and have not seen for weeks or months or maybe even years. You give a greeting that is not sexual but is still full of affection. Holy would make sure that the natural kiss on the lips or cheek did not hint at sexual expression. Could you give every believer the affectionate hug you would give to that beloved friend or relative absent from your life for months simply because the person is a believer? For almost all of us, the answer would be no. For it is not our identities as saints that stops us from greeting one another. See, if you only looked at everyone through the lenses of spiritual identity, if you were just totally colorblind and didn't regard age, didn't regard where people live, or financial background, class, education, anything like that, but only looked at people through the lenses of spiritual identity, and everyone was just a saint to you, you would kiss, holy kiss, Every member and every believer for every one of us to you would simply be blood-bought, united mysteriously to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, holding the promise of gaining and being the inheritance of God. But we do not do that. Why? We don't do it because... His beard itches. She has bad breath. He keeps you uh, in the creeps because he looks creepy. Her eyes look funny. He doesn't wash his hands when he goes to the bathroom. And she always has dandruff on her clothes. And you once saw a bug crawling in her hair when you were sitting on the row behind her. You are laughing or afraid to laugh because you know it's true. 
You look at human aspects of the saint of God in the pew next to you. So what makes you or I think that we are any less cautious in recognizing other aspects of human identities, other social aspects? He has a degree from UC Medical. She commutes here from Glencoe. He was a Navy SEAL. She used to be a member of a cult. He never finished school. Her parents were abusive when she was younger. She was loose when she was a teenager, and so on and so on. We should not even begin to say to ourselves that we do not make such evaluations every day. Every one of us does it. Paul says that the gospel should shape how we do it so that we can fully embrace all of the saints of God with full holiness and with full affection, then it will not seem odd for a member of another congregation to send full greetings to us as if we have been close siblings for all of our lives. That is, as it says in the text, all the churches of Christ greet you. All the churches of Christ and all of its members did not know all of the members at Rome, but they were looking at them as fellow saints. And so they said, greet them just as you would greet any one of us. Three, embracing means avoiding those acting like Satan, for they are against the gospel. Avoid those acting like Satan, for they are against the gospel. It says down in verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. There are some people we should not embrace. In every congregation, we have to watch out for people who claim to be protecting the church, but are protecting private agendas and personal preferences. If someone calls for a gathering in a home or a location other than the church, in order to discuss matters of concern within the congregation, that is the first step toward division, and that person is not serving Christ. Yes, such people might make the invitation to meet with them seem necessary in order to save the church from people who are steering it the wrong way. They use words so polished they also could sell you on the idea of buying an igloo in Miami. We know how those words go. This means that we need wisdom to go with our mature faith and reputation as Bible believers. We cannot be naive, neither can we be unwilling to lose friendships. Some of our friends will err here, and it happens in the soundest of evangelical churches. If those causing divisions were obvious, we can stop divisions readily. We wouldn't need this warning that Paul has in here to watch out for such people. It, it would be just like this. It would be as if we were saying, oh, look, three-fourths of the middle-aged families with teens are rebelling against the vision for the high school ministry, for they have committed not to let their children participate until we make Bible drill competitions mandatory again. If it were that obvious, we would not need wisdom. We simply would not embrace that behavior. We would say, no, 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 that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. But we tend to get it wrong in churches. We embrace that seed-sowing behavior by allowing it to remain and fester. 
but hesitate to embrace God-fearing saints who have social statuses that rest outside of our comfort zones. So saints, let's exercise some Christ-like courage. Embrace the right people and beware of the Satan-like people. Do not simply look for doctrinal errors. Look for seed-sowing errors. And by the way, Paul makes it very clear that Christ intends to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15 soon and bruise the head of the serpent with finality. Paul's words are directed at the assembly. That is, in every congregation, the Lord will deal with those who cause dissensions, both doctrinal and otherwise. This is his church. It is his gospel, and it is he who wants us to embrace as Paul embraces and to avoid those who are against the Lord and his bride. Four, embracing means promoting our earthly identities to believers so we can advance the gospel. Paul says in verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, our, and our brother Quartus, greets you. In these three short verses, the believers in Rome would know that if they were ever in Corinth, they had some friends who would welcome them. While Timothy is a traveling companion of Paul, the remaining names seem to represent believers in Corinth, the place from which Paul writes Romans, and Tertius is his secretary. This list includes Tertius, the writer of the letter, a man who can provide lodging and hospitality, and the city treasurer in Corinth. This is the flip side of embracing believers socially because of the gospel, the side for which we all hope to experience when it is necessary. When your adult child, like two of my adult children, accept work in new cities or with new companies, you pray and hope that believers in those new regions will take them in. If your daughter is a doctor, you hope other Christian doctors will welcome her into their fellowship. If your children are moving a family, you look for your Christian contacts that can bring them into fellowship into a solid church. Letting Rome know that the city treasurer in Corinth is a team player for the gospel is very significant for those in Rome. If they ever come to Corinth, they have somebody on their side. As many of you know, our oldest child is moving from the West Coast, uh, moving to the West Coast, excuse me, in the fall to take her first position after finishing law school. The primary concern that Pam and I have for her, of course, is for her to get planted into a strong church that will support her spiritual growth. A second concern is for her to find Christians in her field that can show her the practice of law as a believer. So what do we do as her parents? We pray. And then we go online to see if we can find potential churches. We can encourage our daughter to do the same. And we pick up the phone and call believing friends to see who has other believing friends in our daughter's new city. 
Our friends, one of our friends living in Florida, says she has two good friends in this city, and she sent us all of the contact information to give to our daughter and called ahead to the friends to tell them to expect to hear from our daughter. What do we expect to happen? We expect the connections to be for the benefit of our daughter's growth as believers we have never met and do not know, but who are making themselves known and available to us, receive our daughter as they would receive our friends because of Christ. We are still praying also that the Erastuses in her new firm also will make themselves known. Five. Embracing means trusting the work of God through us to fulfill the gospel. It means trusting the work of God through us to fulfill the gospel. I'm now in the doxology part of this verse. And you will notice if you're looking at the doxology or between the doxology and the end of the last verse, there is no verse 24 printed in your modern versions. The oldest manuscripts do not contain verse 24, and scholars acknowledge this with a notation in your study and reference Bibles rather than acting as if there is no dispute on the words of this text. But the manuscripts are in agreement with Paul's giving glory to God in the next three verses. Paul praises God for two things. One, God is able to strengthen or establish us through the gospel. And two, he is the wise God who intends to bring about the obedience of faith that comes from the gospel. How does God strengthen us? Through the preaching of the mystery of the gospel, Paul says, which in Romans 11 concerns the partial hardening of Israel so that Gentiles, us, might come to faith. Through the first century large-scale rejection of Jesus, the gospel went from Jerusalem to non-Jewish soils all over Europe and Asia. In doing so, God's plans for all peoples to hear the gospel is being fulfilled. That is, people from every society and all aspects of every society are those the gospel intends to bring into the church. Every church should be a welcome center for any and all believers, even as we pray, hope, give, and send missionaries so that people around the globe might know Christ in all of his mercy. Our church has a history of being missions-minded. We, like many other evangelical churches, have a wall of missionaries and their prayer letters over 30 teams deep. And we have several strategic partnerships, both locally and internationally. What are we saying as we support the work of missions and our mission partners? And as we share our faith in Christ with you who are unbelievers in our midst today, 
We are telling you and people all over the globe and of all walks of life that there is a God who sent his son so that he might embrace those sinners who would entrust their lives to the son and that we are evidence of that God in the way we embrace you as we preach to you. We are showing you by our love and by our actions and by our humility and by our forgiveness and our peace towards you that there is a God who wants to do the same, who wants you to experience all the love he has through his son. So let's not say that our calling and our identities are about souls only. If we say that our calling and our identities are about souls only, our motives will be in question as we ignore the concerns for, the pe- for people as whole persons, for their practices and their roles in society. And let's not say that this passage is applicable only to believers with extroverted public personas whose love language is personal touch, for of course, they would love to run around and give everyone a holy kiss. But it's not for the rest of us. Instead, let us look to one another as people as beings who entire makeup we should embrace so that God's name will be known among all the peoples of the world. Let us embrace the other and one another for the glory of God. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we bless you now that you have fully embraced us, though we are wholly different from you because you are the holy and righteous king, and we are but wretched, poor, miserable, and blind sinners. We are so unlike you, God, yet while we were sinners, while we were enemies, through your son, you came and embraced us fully with all of the love that heaven can give. And you keep embracing us, keep embracing us as we continue in trespasses and lawlessness and other sins. Oh, God, may we embrace others the way you embrace us. Bless now your people, God, that we might be found to be obedient to the word as written and as preached and as taught. May you give us grace to be found faithful. Increase the embracing love of our congregation and of your children around the world so that your name may be magnified in all the earth. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for all your promises and goodness toward us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.